0: there is no way this could be true we all watched him bloodied and beaten crawl out of the city with a cross on his back we watched him hang for hours in agony and cry out to god with his last breath we watched him die how could he be alive yes i saw miracles and i believed them We drank the wine in Cana. We ate the loaves of fish. I hugged Lazarus standing in his grave clothes. Rabbi spoke of a new kingdom, of Yahweh's kingdom finally coming, and everything he touched was always somehow changed, and my heart was filled with unspeakable hope. I believed. But now these madmen I once called my friends, they say that our rabbi lives again they claim to have seen him, to have been with him face to face like when he was teaching us if if i could just see where the spikes were driven into his hands or maybe where the spear went into his side maybe then i could believe it but for now i just
1: Maybe that's your story. You're here and you just don't know. And can I say to you, we're so glad that you're here. We're thrilled that you would come and, and, and take a moment and explore this thing. And, and the truth is is that uh, no matter what you know or what you believe about this whole Christianity thing, the chances are that you are familiar w- with at least a couple of the stories. You're, you're familiar with the story of Christmas and you're familiar with the story uh, of Easter. Th- those two stories, Christmas and Easter, as hard as they may be for you to believe, are, are very different from one another, but they're actually very much the same uh, two. Uh, Christmas is about the manger, and Easter is about the cross and, and the empty tomb. Uh, Christmas is about what Jesus was given, Easter is about what he gave us. Christmas is about Jesus. God in the flesh coming to earth. Easter is about Jesus, God in the flesh leaving this earth. And there's this tension through the scriptures building uh, between these two stories, the story of Christmas and the story of Easter. On the one side, you got the baby Jesus. On the other side, a crucified king. Uh, On the one side, you have shepherds and wise men drawing near to him. Uh, On the other side, you have Jesus' closest friends deserting him. But, But these two stories actually go hand in hand. Because without the coming of Jesus as a human being, we could never have forgiveness of sins through his death. Without the message of joy to the world, we could never make peace with God through an empty tomb. As we come into this Easter weekend, I, I think it's important for us to bow our hearts before the Lord. And so if you're able, uh, right where you're seated at all of our campuses, I want to ask you to take a knee right at your chair. If you're not able, or maybe your dress won't allow that, then just stay seated and, and bow your heart before the Lord. Uh, that's what's important, is the posture of our heart. And today, as we come before you, King Jesus... We bow our hearts before you, asking you to do in this place and in this church and in this weekend what only you can do. We bow before you saying to you, Lord, our answer is yes, whatever you want to show us. Yes, whatever you want to give us. Yes, we'll receive it. Whatever you want from it, from us, yes, we will give it to you, Lord. We, we bow before you today and I ask that you would meet the needs of everyone under the sound of my voice. And Lord, I thank you that not only can you do that, you can do it and not be tired when you get done. So Lord, in this place, let the word of God come alive. Let it not just be black ink on white pages, but could it be the living word of God that would pierce every heart under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Can I say to you today, happy Easter. In church, one of the things that's true, if we're honest, is that we pretend that doubts are fake. When, in fact, for most of us, in, uh, at some point or another, uh, there's a very real wrestling match that takes place in our hearts. And there are lots of times where, where we wrestle. And I'm not talking about WWE uh, wrestling, right? In fact, my uh, 16-year-old daughter just two weeks ago found out it's fake. Uh <laughs> Uh, she, and, and to her credit, she's only seen it for a few seconds a couple of times, but she was convinced until just two weeks ago that, that those guys are really killing each other. But in life, if we pretend it's not real, even if we pretend it's not real, there are lots of times when we wrestle. In one corner, you got this. In the other corner, you got that. And we're expected to come away with this clear winner. And, and, and maybe <clears throat> you're literally wrestling today between two extremes. Maybe you're here and you just had a baby, but but you also lost your dad. Or maybe you're here and you just got married, but but your parents are in the middle of a divorce. Or you just got a promotion, but your spouse just lost their their job. It's in the middle of those uh, contrasting and contradicting stories that I start to think about another wrestling match. A wrestling match that occurs between belief and doubt. And here's the truth about a faith family this size. On any given moment, every given moment of every given day, somebody in our faith family is in that wrestling match. And and as I meet with people on any given day, sometimes from one meeting to the next, the the pendulum swings all the way from overwhelming belief to devastating doubt. And back and forth, it swings in the lives of those who call this their faith family. And, And usually, most of us don't end up in one corner or the other. Instead, we find ourselves right in the middle of the mat trying not to get pinned. And then we feel tugged one way or the other at any given time, but we don't ever really completely believe or or really ever fully doubt. We have seasons where believing comes easy, and then there are seasons where it's more natural uh, to doubt. But the truth is, almost all of us will find ourselves in that situation from time to time. Like the dad of the sick boy who encountered Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Two verses before this in Mark chapter 9, that daddy of that sick boy says to Jesus, if you can do something, have pity on me. If you can do something, Jesus, help us. That, That little word, if, those two letters, hang in the air. That word if expresses both faith and doubt at the same time. And it's intermingled in his very soul. For years he had been searching for help for his boy. He was heartbroken. He was disappointed. And finally he made it to Jesus, but the disciples failed him. How could anyone blame that daddy for doubt? And there are times when, when we say, yes, I believe, I believe you, God. And there are other times that we say, hold up, God, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. And, and it's this back and forth, quite honestly, between doubt and belief that can make us spiritually seasick. It's as if we're in this wrestling match and we're stuck in the middle and doubt can take on many forms from, uh, Questioning our beliefs to feeling distant from God, but, but it can leave us feeling unsure and uncertain in our faith. I, I want to share with you today some truths about doubt. And these are things that if we can get them, we can actually understand doubts. And if we can better understand them, we can get a better grip in this wrestling match that we either are in or will be in at one point in our lives or another. Three truths, I hope you would write them down because I think they'll be helpful to you. Even if you don't need them today in the season that you're in today, I assure you a season will come where you will need them. And if you write them down, you can find them. Uh, number one is doubts are never just intellectual. Sometimes we think that uh, it's the smart people, the really smart people who, uh, who've done a whole lot of study, and, and those are the ones who have this intellectual skepticism. That's just not usually true. Because the evidence actually points to Jesus. The the evidence actually points to a resurrected Christ. Doubts are never just based on some academic skepticism. You say, what are you saying, Alex? Here's what I'm saying. Emotions are involved. Doubts are based on real life. Some event, something, someone comes into your life and wrecks you, disappoints you lets you down, and you can't reconcile that with the story that you've told yourself. The story about God, the story about life, the story about who you are. Hear me today, doubt is just as personal as belief. Tim Keller sums this whole thing up saying this, doubt always masquerades as purely intellectual, but it never is. It's much more personal than that. Here's the second truth about doubts today, is doubts are not always about the existence of God. You you may be here and you're thinking, well, I believe in God, I I don't have any doubts. But you can be sure that God exists and still wonder if he cares. You, you, You might doubt that his grace is sufficient for your failure. You you might think that God loves you, but you doubt that he really likes you. Maybe you doubt that God is actually concerned with the little details in your life. These are still doubts, and they may not be huge, earth-shattering things, but they can still shake you. The the third thing I want you to know about doubt today is, is that doubts and belief are not mutually exclusive. We tend to think of doubt as the anti-matter to faith, that any doubt, no matter how big or how small, can destroy faith. If you let it in, it will kill any faith that you've worked on. The truth is doubts are often a sign of healthy spiritual growth. In fact, let me introduce you to someone in our faith family who has dealt with this kind of doubt. Watch this story.
2: So I met Courtney. Uh, when I started working for a family business uh, many years ago. We had lots of hobbies, lots of things we enjoyed doing. Uh, one of them was riding motorcycles. And uh, one beautiful Wednesday evening, uh, my brother and her and I jumped our bikes and we were gonna head to my grandmother's house for a dinner. It was a beautiful night, I remember. And we we took off down the road and everything was just as it always was. We're just coming up on a slight curve. And as she was approaching the curve and taking it, a gust of wind um, blew her over the center line. And somehow, I was right behind her, and it felt like I drove through it in a cloud. I still remember running up to her and holding her, but I knew she wasn't there. And it was, it was the most pain that I have ever felt in my life. And I can say I never cursed God, I never blamed God, but I questioned, I questioned Him directly why. I remember just crying out, whether it be at night when I lay my head down in the bed or first thing in the morning or driving down the road, just crying, why? Whenever I, I was in my weakness in a state of just collapse and I didn't even know how or what to pray, there was a point of, I felt it was just overwhelming where I can still remember the day where that intercession happened? How do I do this? Because I, I can't, I can't, I, I can't do it on my own. Because I was in a valley at that point, and I knew in my heart that He was holding me. I just couldn't quite get it to my head. There is nothing I, I learned, and, and, and through that process, there is nothing in this world that could satisfy that.
1: Can I just say to you, how, how unhealthy would it be for him to not talk to God about that? For him to not ask God why in the middle of that scenario. Let me show you the same kind of doubt in the story of one of the disciples, one of those who walked with Jesus. And if you rush through this passage, you'll, you'll miss it. And if you watch this play out thinking that all doubts are bad, then you'll miss the point of the story that some doubts can be good, whether it's a nagging sense of uncertainty about our faith or a full-blown crisis of belief. Doubts can leave us feeling lost and discouraged and all alone, but, but as we'll see today, we're never alone in our doubts. Even the apostles themselves struggled with belief in the early days of the church. If you've got a Bible, let's go to John chapter 20, almost to the very end of the book of John, and John chapter 20 and verses 1 and 2, early on Sunday morning, this is Easter Sunday morning early on the first Easter, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So so here we have it. This is the first, very first Easter Sunday morning. And Mary and some other women, the gospels tell us, went to the tomb. And when they get there, the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. And she runs back and gets Peter and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And what do they do? Do they just believe her? absolutely not. They decide that they need to go see it for themselves. And when they get there, they see that it's true. Yep. The women were right. And they run back and tell everyone else, but Mary hangs around and she sees a gardener or so she thinks it's a gardener and she's crying. And this man asks her, why are you crying? And she says, my Lord, my Lord was right here. His body was right here. And now it's gone. And I don't know what to believe. And then she heard him tenderly say her name. And oh, is it our prayer that you will hear Jesus say your name tenderly this weekend. Mary. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. She runs back and tells everyone else, I have seen him. I've seen Jesus. And do they take her at her word? No. They need to go see it for themselves. And here's the truth. All of Jesus' followers on resurrection morning actually acted more like realists than gullible fanatics. That that Sunday evening, verse 19, look at it. Verse 19, that Sunday evening, a few hours later, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid they were next. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. How how quick do you think Mary was to say, I told you. (laughs) I told you and you and especially you too. I, I told you. I know I would have done that okay? Just confession. But these guys are not condemned for not believing Mary. I want to say that again. These guys are not condemned for not believing Mary. Instead, they are blessed by Jesus' presence. He shows up and he reveals himself to them. But there's one guy who wasn't there. You you know his name. What's his name? Thomas was, was not there. Let, let's keep reading. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, apparently he was a twin, was not with the others when, when Jesus came. But they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers a- into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. And I want to tell you today, Thomas is my favorite because I can relate to him. Because he's the most in your face about his doubts. And every one of us, truth be known, will one day know or have already known exactly how Thomas felt on that resurrection morning. And so for that reason today, I want to deal with a topic that is often avoided among bodies of believers. And it's avoided in in churches. And I want to do it on Easter weekend. And if you're a believer, I want you to think about this today. If you're a Christ follower, I want you to think about this today, that Thomas had the exact same evidence that you and I have today. He was told by someone who was told by someone. That, that's what we have to go on, at least initially, right? But, but Thomas doubted. What, why did he doubt? I think it's because the message he heard contradicted the story he told himself. Truth be told, I think he was disappointed. only two other times that Thomas is mentioned in the gospel of John before this story. One is over in John chapter 11, when when Lazarus dies and Jesus says, let's go to Bethany, let's go uh, to Judea. And the other disciples are like, Jesus, if you go there, they'll kill you. And Thomas says, well, let's go with him and die along with him. So I don't want you to get the picture in your head that Thomas is this wimpy guy. In other words, he was willing to die for Jesus, but maybe he wasn't willing to live for him. The, the only other place that Thomas has mentioned before that it is when Jesus, the night before the crucifixion, says to them, hey, I'm leaving, but you will follow me. And Thomas says, Jesus, we have no idea where you are going. How on earth could we know the way? In other words, he was willing to follow Jesus to hell and back. He would have laid his life down for Jesus if he'd asked him to. But all Jesus was asking him to do was believe to go without Jesus here in the flesh and tell others about him. And initially, Thomas was unwilling to do that because it sort of messed with his whole story. And perhaps you wrote a story and it didn't play out like you wrote it. And you're disappointed. Thomas believed that Jesus was set to storm Jerusalem to take control of the temple, to challenge the Romans, just like every other revolutionary before him. That was Thomas's story, and a resurrected Jesus didn't fit his story. He needed and wanted Jesus to do for him what he wanted him to do, not the other way around. But let's look at what happens in Thomas's story because the story is not over. Uh, Look at verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas is there. The doors were locked again because they're still afraid, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. I love how Jesus has to say this every time he just appears in the room because it's so true, right? If someone were to materialize right here, right now, I'd, just, I'd, t- I'd be the first one out the door. <laughs> Look what he says, Thomas, put, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Say it with me. Believe. (laughs) Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, hey, Thomas, I heard you were doubting. He didn't show up in the room and go, Well, 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 my faithful disciples and Thomas, (laughs) who doesn't believe anymore. He didn't get on to him. He didn't tell him how bad he was. He just said, Hey, Thomas, I missed you last week. What do you need? And he met Thomas at the point of his doubt. He actually used Thomas's doubt to help him believe. Do do you need to see me, Thomas? Do you want to touch my hands, Thomas? Go ahead and touch my side where I was stabbed as well, Thomas. In fact, I want you to write this down in in your heart and in your uh, mind that, that God is not upset by your doubts. Why? Because he's not afraid of your doubts. Another way to say it is God's not repulsed by your doubts. In fact, he invites your doubts. In fact, it can be a healthy part of a spiritual journey if you will seek deeper understanding and a more authentic relationship with God. As the apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through what? Through the words about Christ. Our doubts can lead us to a deeper study of the word and a deeper understanding of who God is. Listen to me. The same Jesus, the very same Jesus, who in this book is is saying, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, is the very same Jesus who stands at the door. And is knocking. In other words, he not only answers the knock when you knock, he's knocking, he's wanting into your life. Jesus is attracted to doubters. He loves doubters. Easter, for some out there in the world, maybe some of you here today, is a time when uh, delusional but well-intentioned people get dressed up in pink and celebrate the empty tomb of a first-century Jewish peasant as if that has some effect on our lives today. And consequently, the rest of the world thinks, I better get dressed up if I'm going to church. I want to impress God with with, with who I am. And so when it comes to belief, we sort of apply that to belief that I better dress myself up in some faith and look good. And can I just say to you today, Jesus is not looking for you to put on some faith. He wants you to live by faith. And sometimes the best growth comes from doubts. And since all of us have doubts, we need to know what to do with them. Instead of ignoring them, we need to use them to grow in our faith. We need to take a second and learn the process of biblical doubting, how to wrestle with our doubts. That's what I want to show you today, how to wrestle with your doubts. And I'm using acrostic A little different, but I'm using an acrostic. The W in wrestle is put your doubts into words. What are you saying, Alex? Here's what I'm saying. Be honest about your doubts. Be honest about your questions. Say them out loud. That's exactly what Thomas said did. By the way, he's not the only one who struggled with doubt in the early days of the church. In fact, many, if not all, the apostles had similar struggles and had similar questions about their faith. Do you you remember 40 days later, after all of this, Jesus gathers all the disciples, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he gathers all the followers on a mountain. Matthew records exactly what he said. We call it the Great Commission. We, We built this church. Every New Testament church since has been built on the Great Commission. Matthew, chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through uh, 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And with that authority, I tell you, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, what's interesting to me is it's not the verses that we know. It's the verse that comes right before this one. Does anyone know Matthew uh, 18, 17? Probably not because we usually just skip right by it, but, but I want you to see verse 17 when they saw him, they worshiped him and some of them doubted. Occasionally I'll have a conversation with a, somebody who's not a believer. And sometimes when they get vulnerable, they'll say to me, pastor, if I could just see a miracle, than I would believe. And and they're not talking about some random miracle. They're talking about something in particular that they've been praying for. Can I just say to you, in this text, there are people who saw Jesus in the flesh with skin on, die on a cross, be buried in a grave in public. And then they saw him 40 days later standing in front of them and still they doubted. The difference between Thomas and the other apostles is that Thomas was not afraid to express his doubts while the others kept them to themselves. This willingness to be open and honest about your doubts can be an important step in overcoming them. Remember Thomas's doubts. Remember what he said, Uh, I won't believe it. Believe what you want, but I won't believe it. Unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Do you know what I call this? This is a scream at the sky moment that Thomas had. And what I would say to you is when you're in the moment of a doubt, scream at the sky talk to God. God can handle your scream at the sky moment. Listen, he let God know exactly how he felt. He put it into words and God is powerful enough and he's big enough to handle your words regardless of what they are. Putting your doubts into words means that you are actually admitting that you are not fully aware of everything that is going on. Here's the, uh, the next one in the acrostic the, the rest. And you say, What do you mean? I, I, that's the acrostic because that's my word. <laughs> Give your doubts a rest. In other words, put them on hold, put, put your doubts into words and then wait. And don't just doubt the truth, doubt the doubt. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't throw it all away instantly. Listen, in this day of deconstructionism, when everybody's, you know, being encouraged, burn it all down. uh, Listen, I'm okay with you lighting it on fire, but don't run away. Light it on fire and watch and see what survives the fire because there's something that will survive it. It's not all wood, hay, and stubble. There is faith in that thing. Light it on fire and stay and watch and see what will survive it. Give those doubts a rest. Let let those doubts breathe a little bit. How, How long did Thomas put his doubts on hold. Well, well, in this particular instance, the scripture tells us eight days later. Well, what do you think he was doing that whole week? Can, can you imagine the tension that he felt day after day after day for eight days? On Monday, he's just not sure anymore, right? On Tuesday, he's hearing the same story on repeat from Peter and John. Uh, Wednesday, the women are adding all kinds of details that only they would notice. This goes on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. He can feel it but he waited. He did not make a decision yet. He put his decision on hold. Here's the L. Lay your doubts in front of others. What what am I saying? Talk to rational people who are not in a season of doubt themselves. Thomas did this. He, He kept his community with the other disciples intact. Don't run off on your own. When you run off on your own, that's when the enemy will separate you from the pack and he will take you out. Eight days later, listen, eight days later, the disciples were together. And here's what I want you to hear today. The church is at its best when she allows doubt and faith. And the reason that doubt can be so dangerous is maybe because of how the church has treated it. And the church, we viewed it as some sort of poison to avoid. And if your brain ever touches a doubt, all bets are off, right? Listen, we've got to be able to embrace both doubt and faith at the same time. God does. And that will happen when we do that in the care of a loving biblical community. Here's the E. Experience Jesus in the middle of your doubts. Beloved, hear, hear me. Thomas's answer to his doubts was not in the opposite direction of Jesus. What he really wanted was to lean into his experiences. Listen, he'd experienced Jesus in the past. And he wanted to again. Look, look at what Jesus says. Put your finger here. Look at my hands, Thomas. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. The the answer to your doubts, the real answer will always include an encounter with Jesus. We, We talked about it on Friday in our Good Friday services. The the pastoral and priestly prayers that Jesus prayed on the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane in Hebrew, the the press. And at some point in the prayer, he sweat drops like blood. He was in such agony that he was actually releasing blood through his sweat glands. And, And the point of the prayer that I think that was going on when he was saying, Father, please, Please let this cup pass from before me. Don't let this be for me. I I don't want to walk through this. And the father said, no, it's your cup. I want you to think through that for a moment. Because in that moment, Jesus was not just dealing with our sin. He was taking on our disappointment. He was identifying with everything you and I will ever endure that is unendurable. He knows what it means to sorrow through what feels like you can't even live through it. And he not only felt it, he felt it for all people all at once. In one moment. But look, this, this process this is not some linear outline that you have to do step one, then step two, then step two, then, then, then three, then four. This, this thing's really more like a scrambled egg. You, you can go through things in any order. In fact, you can go through them all at once. That's what the disciples did, including Thomas. They were there for every miracle he ever performed. They saw dead people get up and walk. They saw people with leprosy healed right in front of them. They watched it happen. They carried some of these people in. What's my point? A miracle will not convince you to believe. The way to get over your unbelief is to just believe. And John, the miracles of Jesus are not called miracles. The Greek word is signs. John refers to the miracles as signs because they are pointing to someone. They're pointing to Jesus. In fact, that's the next series we're going to start next Sunday. We're going to walk through the Gospel of John for seven weeks and look at the seven signs and the seven miracles that John decided to use and to record to point us to Jesus because the reason he wants to point us to Jesus is because Jesus is the answer to whatever your greatest need is to whatever your crisis is Jesus is the answer and the point of a miracle listen it is not to answer some great need in your life it's ultimately to show you who Jesus is now remember when Jesus shows up to Thomas and he says hey Thomas come, come touch my wounds there's no mention in the story that Thomas did that He just said, my Lord and and my God. What Jesus, when he said that to Thomas, when he showed up in that room, what was, he's communicating to Thomas, Thomas, I know exactly what you need before you tell me what you need. And he does for you as well. Have you ever pondered as to why Jesus in a resurrected body kept his wounds? The the New Testament is full of evidence about resurrected bodies, how how they will be cancer free and they will be, you know, healthy and there's no obesity in a resurrected body. Amen? And gummy bears and chocolate will be healthy. (laughs) Resurrected body, completely healed. If so, why did Jesus keep his wounds? There's a lot of theology there. We could run down a rabbit trail. He can walk through walls with his resurrected body, but he eats. He can go from Emmaus to Jerusalem in a second, but he sits and has a meal with his disciples. The resurrected body. Why in a resurrected body does he still have wounds? The Bible says by his wounds... We are healed. And he's chosen to bear them for all eternity to communicate this, and do not miss it, do not miss it, do not miss it. To communicate this, the pain of humanity became the pain of God. And they communicate that every wound you and I have ever or will ever undergo, he understands. He was there, he cares, and he will restore if we will let him. In the book of Revelation, those who gather around the throne refer to him as the lamb. But that's not what they said. They said the lamb who was slain. There is something on him that indicates he is the lamb who was slain. And and don't misunderstand, he was not martyred. He willingly laid his life down to love you. This week I read a story in my orphan care reading. It was about a little boy who was living with his grandmother. He was orphaned and living with his grandmother when their house caught on fire. The grandmother trying to get up the stairs to rescue the boy died from the fire and from smoke inhalation. And the boy's cries, desperate cries for, for help were finally answered when a man uh, from the outside of the on-fire building climbed up an iron drain pipe and then came back down that iron drain pipe with the boy grasping onto his neck for dear life. And after the funerals and after the mess was cleaned up, there there was a, a public hearing before the judge in that small town to determine who would receive custody of that boy. A neighboring farmer, one of the boy's teachers, the most wealthy citizen in the town, all were there appearing before the judge, giving their reasons why they felt they should be chosen to provide a home for this boy. The story says while the three of them were talking to the judge, the child's eyes were focused on the floor. And then a man came in the back door and walked up that center aisle through that swinging door to appear before the judge. And he slowly took his hands out of his pockets, revealing the scars on them. And as the crowd gasped, the boy cried out in recognition. It was the man who had saved his life, whose hands were burned from climbing that hot iron pipe to get to him. That boy leapt onto his back again and held on for dear life once again. The other three men walked away silently, leaving the boy and his rescuer alone. The marred hands had settled the issue. The scars told the story, not just of love, but of love in action. A love that was so powerful and a love that was bonding that it brought them closer than words could ever describe. And our prayer this Easter is that may the scars of Jesus do the same for us. May they draw us to him, bind us to him. John finishes this story, in fact, he finishes his whole gospel by saying, some of you reading this have never seen Jesus, but you still believe. His scars are for your healing. Will you believe today? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray together. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, can can I ask you to bow your heart before the Lord and open it? And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Lord or your Savior or your forgiver, I want to give you a moment to do that. We've been praying that today could be the day of salvation. And so right where you're seated at all of our campuses, right where you're seated, where you're watching online, if you want to trust Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, would you pray with me? I want you to pray after me out loud. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not, not just Lord of the universe, but, but Lord of your life. And believe, believe, believe. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. I, I want to help you do those two things today. And I want to ask you to pray out loud. You're going to hear men and women and boys and girls praying out loud all around you to every single campus. But if you want to trust Jesus today, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver in the best way that I know how I turn my back on my sin, I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me, I believe. Thank you for saving me. Before we say amen, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, can I say to you, congratulations, welcome to the family of God, in a moment a campus pastor will come and and we'll tell you how to fill out a connect card so that you can let us know about that decision so that we can help you in your new relationship with Christ? Whether you're a believer or a a non-believer, as as a doubter, could I just encourage you, come join us. Come join us in this series in John. Come join us in, in, in this faith family and let us help you walk through your doubts and walk through your struggles. And if you're here today and you are a believer, but there's been a long season of doubt in your life, could I just encourage you, you invited Jesus in, but you put him in a back closet in a back guest room. You put him in a straight jacket and put handcuffs on him and gagged him. And you wonder why you can't hear him speak. Let him out. Let him out. You need to hear what he has to say. And with courage, put your doubts into words and say, Jesus, where were you? Where were you, Jesus, when that happened? And you just fill in the blank. Where were you? Put the pressure on him. He can handle that. Where were you? And let him tell you where he was. As you hear him say, I was right there. When you wept, I wept. When your heart was broken, my heart was broken. In fact, I died to heal you from that. Come here. Come here, come here, come here. Lay your head on his chest. And hear his heartbeat for yours. He loves you so much. He left the protected halls of heaven to come to this world filled with sin and shame and blame and everything else to overcome it so that you could be healed from those things that this world would put on you. My encouragement to you is start talking to him and let him tell you where he was and how much he loves you. Father, we pray that you would advance us and our journey with you and our intimacy with you in Jesus name we pray and together we all say, Amen and amen would you thank the Lord for meeting with us today come on John.